We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates female celebrity memoirs. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this week we are book clubbing Heather Gay's memoir called Bad Mormon, published February 2023. It is hot off the presses. I love the title. I love the book cover. In context of other housewives memoirs, I'm giving this a thumbs up. If you don't know Heather, she is from The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, perhaps my favorite of all the housewives franchises. Heather is also one of my top housewives, so I was very excited to dive into this. This book, you guys, this book dismantles a religion. I was shook. It tells the secrets of the Latter-day Saints. I mean, true temple secrets are in the book. It is a beautiful journey of how hard it is to get free of something that's programmed for you as a child, but is no longer serving you. And also it has a little bit of juicy goss and we're going to get into all of it. We should really toast to like burning in hell. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, Outer darkness. Outer, Outer darkness. darkness. <laughs> Outer darkness is the lowest degree of heaven in the Mormon faith. You have the celestial degree, which is for the tried and trues. Then you have an exception for those that can't make it all the way. That's the terrestrial. That's like your Lisa Barlow's, your, you know, people that just weren't valiant in their faith. And then you have the telestial, which is your serial killers, borderline murderers, pretty much awful people. And then you have outer darkness who are people like me that have accepted the gospel, been married in the temple, made all the covenants, and then chosen to walk away. So like, I would have to ask Jeffrey Dahmer to get me into his degree of heaven. 
We are diving into it all with a housewives expert. I am so excited to have him back on the podcast. He is an actor, writer, creator, and host of the hit podcast, Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. It's Danny Pellegrino. And we covered your book on this podcast. You were our very first men's more exception. And we covered, how do I unremember this? Yeah, it was such an honor. Of course, I love you and and think you're just the best. But also, it was so exciting. I felt like so honored about that. And when we talked, I think we had mentioned, oh, we're going to have to cover, I have to come back for Housewives books. So I sort of pestered you. And I'm so grateful that you had me here because I have read a lot of these Housewives books and I have yes. so many thoughts. <laughs> now, I've only read NeNe Leakes uh, Erica Jane's and this one. So I'm going to need you to fill in all oh. the others. So here's my first question for you o- on the spectrum of housewives memoirs. Where does this one land? This is towards the top. I, my bar at the top is uh Brandy Glanville's memoir, which I don't love Brandy. You know, there, that's wow. a whole other situation. Yeah. We won't even get into that, but I think the writing of it, uh, was interesting. The, whoever her ghostwriter was, forgive me, I don't know the name, but they did a good job of like playing with Brandy's television persona and making it a really funny, fun beach read. I, I really like Dr. Wendy's book from The Real Houses of Potomac. It was- it, No it, way. I thought it was like an interesting sort of angle. I'm shook. You didn't like it? Did you read? No, no, no. I didn't read the book. I just feel like Wendy would be so uh, like a little lost in who she is. I feel like she would approach a book like I'm a PhD master's, but then like would she give herself in the housewife's book? Yeah. Another thing that I appreciate is like when you can tell somebody wrote it themselves. Like I know I just mm-hmm. mentioned Brandy using this really great ghostwriter, but you either have to fall into one category. You have to hire a really good ghostwriter or you have to be able to write a book, which is not so yeah. easy. And so- It should sound like you. However you like get you. there should sound like you. Yes. Right. And so a lot of them, you know, if you read something like Ramona Singer's book or something like that, it's like, it falls so in the middle of like, the, a ghostwriter who maybe doesn't really know who the person is or they don't watch the show. And and that's what I tell all the houses. If I, if I talk to any of them who are doing a book, I'm like, you have to hire a ghostwriter who loves the show and loves the housewives because they end up getting certain people and no shade to these ghostwriters, but they don't watch the show or anything. And what the audience wants is why they fall in love with these people. And and I also think you need to have a substantial amount of housewives gossip and show gossip in the books. Otherwise yes. the audience is like, what, 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 I don't care about this. So that's another issue that I think the housewives run into. The whole industrial I, I, complex of housewife books is very fascinating to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a total, there's one factory for housewives books. And I wish they would all listen to what you just said because you said it perfectly. Heather actually, I found, fell into some of the pitfalls that you just mentioned, but- was also so funny and lovely and the journey is so meaningful that I forgave it. Like there's not a ton of juice, right? you know, Which uh, there's some. A, yeah. That's a whole other story too, because I was frustrated. There was this illusion that there was information about this black eye situation that happened on the Real Houses of Salt Lake City last season. Heather had, I think, reposted some stories or commented on some social media, basically implying that that was going to be in the book. And so I thought that was kind of frustrating as an audience member because you're expecting that. And then when you read it and there's not much Housewives stuff in there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know who had a ton of juice in her book is Nene Leakes because I think she's the first Housewife to have written a book. It literally feels written from under a rock. Like like the stuff that's included, I'm like, oh my God, Nene. And I think it was 
I think they didn't realize, they didn't know how housewives should sell books. So I think it sold like five copies and then like went out of print. But like in that book, she's like, Kim is the devil. And like, here's the, here's all the ways that she, oh, and God. it's like season one. It's a season one book. And the other thing too, that was back in the day of probably not much legal was going on. Now, yeah. I, a lot of these books, I think have to run through Bravo Legal or they're asked to take certain things out. So that does stifle these books in so many ways. I've heard- anecdotally certain housewives who have recently come out with books and, and said, oh, they were asked to remove things. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not writing a housewives memoir and I wrote like the name Donald Trump in mine as like the, the March for, and they were like, legal will flag this, just the name. And because that's a litigious person, I was like, oh, that's so wild. (laughs) You know what I mean? So yeah, I can see how these books are just like ripped to pieces. I loved the last third of this book. The last third of this book, I was like, I felt like Heather came alive. I was interested. I was excited. I would say the first part of the book, if you, if you, uh, grew up religious or around Mormons or no Mormons, I would say it's like incredible. If you didn't, I'm wondering if this book would catch your attention. Yeah, it's hard. I went into the book thinking, being very excited about learning more because I just don't know a whole ton about the Mormon religion. And and so I was excited to learn more. And then I found myself a a little bored at the beginning, but I don't Mm -hmm. know necessarily if it was bored or it kind of goes back to that thing of like, I want to get to the housewives part. And that's always my problem with memoirs in general, even outside of housewives. You go into it wanting to read the juicy stuff. And I, I just get a block in my own mind when it's like starts off of like, then I was in kindergarten and then we were moving yes, chronologically. Same, same. Like I hate the chronological memoir. I do too. It, I I think also I hate when they, it's just, and I've talked about this a lot, but it's just memory mush. It's a montage of this kind of happened. This, it's never like a story. It's mm-hmm. never like on the day of first grade, blah, blah happened. It's always like, so first grade was in California. And then I, and you're like, oh my gosh. And this book definitely suffered yeah. from that. I spent first through eighth grade. Um, in St. George, Utah, which at the time was the Mormon capital of the world. It had the highest population of Mormons in the city. It is no, that's no longer, I don't know where it is now, but it's, that's no longer. However, I went to the Church of Latter-day Saints with my best friend and her eight siblings every Sunday for many years, cosplaying as Mormon, just pouring sun in in my hair, hoping to be blonde like them. And, um, and because the culture I grew up in was so Mormon that if you weren't Mormon, you were like disgusting. And so I know a lot about Mormons. So I was really excited to cover this book. And um, I was, I'm also, I, I my biggest takeaway is that Heather, though, like, she's like, I was of the covenant and like, I was a big part of the church and my family like started the church. She is a much looser, more, even when she was Mormon, a much looser Mormon than I'm used to. Like I I was reading this, like, Mm. like the Mormons I grew up in, like you, you'd never, you didn't even know the word for alcohol. Like that was never around. Meanwhile, Heather's like, this boy was drinking at 13 and I kissed him. I'm like this, these are not the Mormons I know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have much of a reference point for any of that. So yeah, it was I that it was fascinating to me, but I yeah, I I wouldn't have even known that. I think this is a one of the best titles of a housewife book. And I there was sort of some Beyond. controversy about like where the title came from. I think the Mormon church wasn't there like a legal situation and then I, it was revealed that it initially came from this Instagram account that does these like musical things. They had Whoa, done Whoa, <laughs> I don't I did not know this. Oh my god. Okay, wait. 
so I hope I'm explaining this correctly, but people can look it up and, and yell at me if I'm wrong. But there's this uh, Instagram account, I think it's like Roni Bravo. They had posted this like song parody or something for the show that was, they called Bad Mormon. And then I had read that they liked it. Um, but yeah. it, it's a it's an interesting title. With- well, also Heather has like an opening page where she's like, you know, the most recent head of the church has declared that we that the church should always be referred to as the Church of Latter-day Saints, as opposed to what is called the nickname, which is Mormon, which is so I'm like, Mormon's a nickname? Like, I didn't even know that. Oh and she basically says, I was going to try and call the church by the name decreed that we're supposed to be calling it these days, Church of Latter-day Saints, but I can't. I'm going to call it Mormon, and I guess that makes me a bad Mormon. Okay, wait, I just, I'm sorry. I was listening, yes, but I no, also please. found this information. Okay, so- Uh, This was from Vulture. Prior to her book release, Gay asked the church to expunge her name from its records, a standard request typically granted by bishops, Uh, but the LDS appears determined to prevent Gay from profiting off the break. Uh, The idea for Bad Mormon came from Gay's publisher, who suggested it after Real Housewives musical parody writer Dylan Mark Aurel posted a song with the title during the COVID-19 lockdown. Okay, I love that that's how this title and came so, about. Yeah, and the the Instagram account is at Roni Musical. Is the it's this Instagram account that does sort of these like musical parody songs for housewives. Does that make sense? And then they yeah, and then they titled a book. That's amazing. Yeah, so I wonder if they're like getting paid or something. I yeah, I do want You know what I just read tricky. that what? Li, you know that Lizzo song where she sings about I'm 100% that bitch? Mm-hmm. Yo, yeah, that that came from someone else's tweet. Yeah, but she, they the tweet they are on the song. The person who did the tweet, so I th- they get like royalties from it. I read. I mean, I think I think that is something that they they added them to the song. So it's like the song comes out, then that person is like, "This is a tweet of mine that Lizzo read," and then I think she was like, oh, "Okay, let me add you to the song." Oh my god. Ugh. Yeah, and it was. I was. I remember that controversy, and I was like, "Will she survive this?" And she was like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> but also, I am a little. I mean, you, like, I think you and I come from the exact same world, which is like, as comedians, like you do not lift stuff Mm-mm. from other people in any way. And like, when, when you do like, when you're on TV shows, you have to do full research things to see if it's ever been said before. It, I don't need, if I give it a Google and it's out there, I'm like, that's not mine then. Right, Even it. if I thought of it on my own, like you can't use someone else's title. You can't use someone else's jokes. Like very weird. And at the, at the bare minimum, if you do, I think you have to be very upfront about the credit and the and payment and and those kinds of things like yeah be yeah and on the line about that it, it's interesting because i do think books can title themselves off of like a song lyric or a word from a poem like I, it, there's a blurry line with book titles but yeah. uh, but a song lyric from a tweet interesting yeah interesting yeah. i don't know yeah it's hard and i will say fantastic book cover Um, I think like the picture's great. I think she's dressed in a way that emulates kind of Mormonism, but also breaking away from it. And, um, of housewives memoirs, I would also put this at the top, even though I found the book a little boring till the end. Yeah. But a lot, but also the bar is low for a housewife's book. So this was good. Yeah. Yeah, The bar is low. (laughs) The bar is, the bar is, (laughs) uh, the bar is just so, 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 so low. Um, Okay. So her childhood is that, I mean, a big thing is that she is born and raised for a little bit in Carmel, California, which is not um, a heavily Mormon population. It's actually quite liberal. And then they move around and they finally end up in Salt Lake and- 
she writes this thing where she's like, you know, she's in church. Her family's very Mormon. Um, she comes from the covenant, which basically means her parents were both married in the temple. And so you can be Mormon and not be married in the temple. And you're just like medium Mormon, but like true Mormons, like get married in the temple. And so that means she comes from the covenant, which is like this high, you know, high esteemed Mormonism. And then she writes this, this is one of my favorite pages. She says, She was just kind of like acting out as a child. And her dad said this, sometimes when we aren't feeling good about ourselves, we act out. Your mom and I think you may be feeling insecure about your appearance and your weight. And so you're acting obnoxious to get attention. We want you to start exercising daily. I said, oh my God. And yes, this feels quite right. Later she said, they wanted me to keep sweet, pray and obey because it would make my life easier because they loved me because they wanted to protect me because they believed it was dangerous. They believed there was no way back. And they're basically like, you're a loud mouth because you're um, overweight. Right. <laughs> Just horrifying. You know, all of the stuff in the early part of the book, I, I, the, the tie to religion was the most interesting part because oftentimes in it, let's say, because we keep re- referencing other housewife memoirs, they would, they would say, oh, my dad said something like this to me, but there would be no larger connection. And I feel like one of the things Heather did a really good job of, of like always tying these little threads to the Mormon, like including just that word, pray, pray and obey, or, or what was that phrase? Yeah. Yeah. Like tying it well, together. And keep sweet is a phrase in Mormon culture and the name of a documentary you must watch immediately. Wait, what is it called? Um, keep sweet. It's called, it's called keep sweet, pray and obey. Um, incredible Mormon documentary. Um, highly recommend it's on Netflix. And, but yeah, so that's like a common phrase in the church. And it really is like women should keep, like keep sweet, keep sweet. That's how you, your personality should be. I wonder what it's like for someone who is Mormon to, currently Mormon to be reading this. I think if you're currently Mormon, you're, you're a not. real Mormon. You're not reading yeah, you're this. Not reading Heather Gay's The Devil. It's it's a it's similar, unfortunately, to Scientology, where it's like you do not take in the outside world if it does not uh, benefit Mormonism. Oh, and like when I was growing up, it's like the the movies like tight. You couldn't go see Titanic. Like that was that would be crazy. And it was like only the bad kids had seen it with their parents. Um, there's, there's Mormon movies. You only watch the Mormon movies. Like you don't read the news. Are there mainstream Mormon movies? Is that a stupid question? There are. No, no, there are, but they're, they're always like, um, you know, Mormon, Mormon scripture tales, like retold, you know, I always make this joke and I think I tried to make it my book and my editor was like, what are you talking about? Cut it. But I was like, Mormons believe Jesus had a crew cut. You know what I mean? Just like a blonde, blue eyed, (laughs) like nice Jesus boy. Um, and yeah, I don't, I think, I think, I think Heather there is probably held up right now in the community as like, what can happen if you, if you, if you're led astray. I wonder if there's like secret reading, like if, someone who's thinking of leaving the church or something is secretly under a cover reading this. Is that oh, crazy? I, th- I think this is such an important book for anyone who, who wants to be free of Mormonism and doesn't know how, I think if they get their hands on what would be considered, you know, trash in the book world of a housewife's memoir, I think it could be a really important book. This, this is my big takeaway. You cannot be a funny woman and be a Mormon. That's my headline. Heather was born a funny woman, so she could never stay a Mormon because to be a funny woman anywhere is like, like comedy threatens authority, you know? And so that's why women are encouraged to not be funny. And she couldn't help but being funny. And so she found Mormonism hilarious. And they were like, you're a monster. Yeah. You know, even watching the show, despite how anyone might feel about her storylines and stuff, I think it's clear in her confessionals, she has a good wit. 
Like she's 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 quick. one of the funniest. Yeah. Her and Candace yeah. are like natural and Phaedra, <laughs> like just naturally so funny. Yeah, that's why I love Heather too. And you know, I'm sure she did have a co-author, but this does sound like her. you know. I just had her on my show recently, and she mentioned that she did not. She said she wrote this. It was a little vague. Then that's I mean, incredible. It was like a little vague the wording of it, and so I wondered if. Like her book editor maybe had a huge hand. Yeah, you know, so it, I, that's like a big controversial thing in Housewives world. There was a, a cast member on The Real Houses of New York, Carol Radzewell, and who wrote this wonderful book. And it became a storyline on the show. Like, did she have a ghostwriter? She didn't actually write it herself because she had written it pre-Housewives. <laughs> so it was this big controversy on the show. And and it's still to this day, people bring it up and talk about it. And I, I think maybe she had an editor that, had a heavier hand or something, but that's different than a ghostwriter. And and I know yeah. all those terms can get muddy. But also like no one's expecting a housewife to co- to be the singular author on their book. So like, that's a very funny claim to stake. Yeah. I think they should have to, I feel strongly that they should have to, anyone put the ghostwriter's name if the person is writing. Yes. They should have to be listed as a co-author. Uh, so, because a lot of, a lot of times co-author as a term and ghostwriter get mixed up um, or can be the same thing. Uh, yeah. But I think it should always, even if it's very, very tiny, it should, I think people should have to be upfront about that. I completely agree because I believe Demi Moore wrote her whole book. I was like, Demi, Demi Moore wrote this whole thing. I can't find evidence of a, of a ghostwriter or co-author anywhere. Yeah. And then, you know, through the Hollywood whisperings, they were like, no, no, there was a ghostwriter. I'm like, God damn it. Then write it, write it in the thank yous. Yeah. Like, do what you got to do. And they hide yeah. it so well now. I'll read books and I'll look through the acknowledgements to see where the name is. And it's sometimes so vague. I, They'll say, and I want to thank so-and-so for just, uh, you know, always doing everything so wonderfully or something. You have to read between the lines to be like, oh, that's their ghostwriter, but they're not yes. even putting it anywhere else. That's what I thought Heather did. I For number four, she said, Natasha Simmons for endless patience, thoughtful guidance, unending compassion, and scores of support. And then she goes, the entire team of gallery at Simon & Schuster. And I was like, I feel like Natasha Simmons is, you know, right. someone. Also, this is a small tangent, but I get asked to do Tiffany Haddish's first memoir on this podcast all the time. And I refuse to do it because Tucker Max has front cover credit as her co-author. And Tucker Max is the guy who wrote books about like women being pigs. And like, it was like, you know, at Urban Outfitters, he'd be like the Tucker Max books. Right. And somehow a deal was negotiated that Tiffany Haddish would have this piece of shit on her front, like not even hidden that he had written it with her. And I just have something against it. Wow. I didn't know that. When did that come out? Her book? Um, like five years ago, just wild. Heather writes in here that people said she was too big, too loud and too much. I said, is that my memoir title? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been on, I've been a lot, a lot of those themes in this, uh, in this podcast. I've been, I've talked about like being a woman who's considered too much, um, a lot. And so that really spoke to me. That's the best way to be. uh, Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? That's, uh, that's what we're talking about with Real Housewives. You got to be way too much yeah, or you're not getting cast. That's the whole point of Housewives. But also, uh, I think it, it goes back to that thing you said about Heather Gay. Like, she was not built for this religion because she's those things. And and those are wonderful qualities. But oftentimes, religion will suppress those qualities that make yes. you uniquely. 
Exactly, because you're not supposed to question them. And I do think a great joke is a, is also a question. Wow, I'm really becoming like a comedy philosopher right now. I'm like, a good joke always qu- is a question in, in theory. Okay, so Heather, <laughs> back into the book. Heather um, gets a scholarship to go to Utah State because she is like a piano genius. I found a lot of Heather talents I didn't know about in this book. So she like played piano so well, she got a full scholarship. Her parents are like, no, all the good boys to marry are at BYU. They're not at... Uh, uh, Utah State. So you got to go to BYU instead and we'll pay for college. So she says, okay, goes to BYU. She starts an earrings business <laughs> that gets so successful. She, she writes this, Nordstrom turned my little earring gig into a pretty big deal. So she like sells these earrings at Nordstrom eventually. A year later, the sales were significant enough for me to be a contender. My professor let me know that I had been nominated for the Entrepreneur Student of the Year Award, and I was thrilled, but I assumed I'd never win. But because I'd been innovative in my approach for outsourcing labor, because I'd impressed the committee with my rapid growth and market share increase, because I'd done it all while working full-time as a tanning engineer, I won BYU's Entrepreneur Student of the Year honorable mention in my junior year. Parentheses, I lost to the student who came up with 1-800-CONTACTS. <laughs> so much to unpack there, Chelsea. First of all, the thing that's sticking out is the tanning person that she she worked at a tanning place, which I love. Also, she's saying a tanning engineer, engineer. to be clear. <laughs> so she's not saying I worked the front desk at a tanning salon, which is, I think, what it was. She said she's a tanning engineer. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love and it. We, Dial yeah, it up. We learned. Uh, also, you mentioned the piano thing. I had no clue about that. That's one of the other wonderful things about a housewife writing a book is that on housewives, it's an ensemble cast. So you see very little of these people. It's often in regards to like how they're uh, relating to the dynamics within the group. So you don't get to know things like uh, how good she might be at piano. You might see like a little thing that's quickly forgotten about. Yeah, but basically she she's a businesswoman. I really did come out of this respecting Heather's business sense because she goes through a lot of examples in the book how she finds herself in a position where she has nothing and makes a mountain out of it. Yeah, and I think of all the housewife businesses, Beauty Lab and Laser, which is where the infamous Jen Shaw arrest or whatever took place on the show, but it seems like a good biz- a very successful business, and it also seems like above the line and all of those kinds of things. Because sometimes you Not look at the norm yeah, for housewives. You look at the housewife businesses, and you could tell they're just like slapping their name on something, or it's a house of cards ready to tumble. And I've always gotten the impression that Beauty Lab and Laser seems like a great place to go get your whatever's done. Oh my gosh. She mentions, she mentioned a thing where I was like, this is genius. And you have made me want to try it, which is like not great for my brain. I don't want to, I don't want to get into Botox, but she was basically like, you know, Botox always had to be this thing. If you wanted lip injections, it would be $600 minimum or 700 because those FDA regulated amounts of, of, you know, <laughs> of Botox juice, injector juice, whatever it is. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but basically it's, it's really expensive to get your lips injected. And so from her experience sorting drugs on her mission, which we'll get into, she knows how to like maneuver the regulations. So she just requests smaller doses and starts something called a mini lip plump where you pay $300 and you just get to dabble a little bit to see if it's something you even want to do. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. That's genius. Yeah. It's so smart. I just saw someone I follow on Instagram getting it at beauty lab and laser uh, they posted a video, someone who works at Bravo, like went and visited. And uh, after they did the little thing, the people who were injecting the lips, they were like, uh, they had a catchphrase. It was something like, get the lips, right? Like, 
Yes, life's always short. get the lips. Life's and that's short, in her book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Life's short, gets the, get the lips. Uh, but so, it, and after I watched it, I was like, oh, I need to go there and get the lips. Like, it sold I know, me. And I know. I've, I've like, never been interested in that. And I was like, same. Oh, I've never wanted that. And I was like, well, I mean, guess it is Minnie. She's right. Life's, you know? short, life's short. Let's go get the lips. <laughs> get the lips. Also, she immediately uh, copyrights everything. So she comes up with the mini lip plump and immediately, like, copyrights it. No one can do it. Like you have to go to beauty lab to get it. I was like, you're a genius. That's smart. Here's my question though. <laughs> like once you get injections in your lips, like what is kissing like? Like if someone else kisses your lips, are they like, like I'm kissing rubber or like, do you not even know how your lips are maneuvering? Like what goes into this? I don't know. I think it depends probably on how much you get. I'm sure if you get too much, you wouldn't be able to feel anything, but yeah, I don't know. A little probably you would be fine. I'm too scared. I mean, I, it just feels like such a sensitive area, you know? The lips. Yeah, like yeah. I, I would be interested in if like I could go under anesthesia to do it. Like <laughs> then I'd be like, okay, let's do it. Let's do the mini a full anesthesia full, for under. a tiny lip. Like then I for some filler. I'm in. Like go ahead and fill me up. But the it feels so sensitive. And I'm sure it's not I'm they numb it, I'm sure, and all those things. But yeah, that in particular, I would do for anesthesia. Put me under anesthesia. I don't know if they do that at Beauty Lab, I, but I'm there, Heather. Yeah, I don't think they're giving you full anesthesia, <laughs> but I, I maybe that's her new business. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, back at BYU, she is about to graduate, and she's like, "God damn it, I'm not married." That was the only point. The only point of me being here was to find a husband. I didn't find one. So then her friends like, "Oh, since you're just like a, hus- a husbandless." piece of trash at 21, uh, you you should probably go on a mission. And, and my mom has agreed to pay for it. It's actually a really lovely friend, Regina. She's great. And her mom's like, go on this mission. So the thing with missions is that you put in to say like, um, you know, I want to go on one. And then the church tells you where you're going. So I will also say this for women, they're often kept really close to home. So we lived in St. George, Utah, and the missionaries who came by our house constantly were always women. Cause it would be St. George women being like, I'll go on a mission. And they'd be like, great, stay here at home and do it. And then they would come to the non-Mormon houses, which was ours. Um, and they, and then they just volunteer. They would be like, can we wash your windows? And then like, as they spend time at your house washing your windows, they're like, so have you heard of Joseph Smith? By the way. Um, by the way, uh, no big deal, but uh, your soul could be saved. So oh. she's really afraid. She's like, oh my God, I'm not fucking going to Fresno. I'm not, I'm not like, do not do this to me. But she believes in God because she is sent to France. And she's like, hell yes, France. That's exactly where I want to spend my time. And then goes and ha- I mean, being on a mission is really rough. You essentially live- it- with poverty levels of money because you're there to be a volunteer. And then all you're doing is like riding bikes around and trying to sell people who hate you on being a Mormon. So Heather is on, goes to this mission in France. She has the record for most baptisms. She wrote 16 dunked in 18 months and other people's average was one or zero. And she baptized 16 people in a religion she's not fully in on. Again, incredible businesswoman. She just... <laughs> She's just so good. And then a part of her volunteer work is that they need to sort, I guess, these like these pills that come through from the pharmacy where like, are they expired? Can we reuse them for doctors without borders? Like, are these medications good? And the only people they trust to do them are Mormons because they're such squares. Meanwhile, Heather starts pocketing some of these pills in, she said, the sacred place between my Mormon undergarments and my and my breast. And she's like, just to study them, I want to study about drugs. But it's like, okay, Heather, we know you. We know you did the drugs. Yeah, you put and I'm in, happy for you. Hiding him in the bubbies. Hiding him in the bubbies. And then another big part of the book, this was the book part I actually truly couldn't believe. And I'm sure she had a lot of, um, 
I bet this was really difficult is that she, in order to go on your mission, you kind of, um, you, you become, you go into the temple for the first time and in the religion, like you are not allowed to speak about what happens in the temple. Like it's like, Oh my God, you like, it is not spoken about. No one will even prepare her because you are not supposed to say a word. And Heather writes a whole chapter on exactly what happens when you go to the temple. And it boils down to you, like watch a couple movies, you put on an apron and then you like pretend to speak to God through a veil, even though it's clearly just a volunteer and that's it. Do you think that there will be legal consequences to any of this book from the Mormon church? I guess it's like, you know, I, I guess I'm wondering what church's rights are because they are like, you don't pay taxes. They like live off their, like, can the the Mormon church sue you for spilling their secrets? I mean, I, I don't think so because Scientology definitely would if you could. And instead they have to be like, they have to just like set your house but on fire. But do you think that they would, there'd be some version of that for this? Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that's what Maybe. I Maybe. I can't, I, yeah. Yeah, I also, it's interesting because I actually didn't think it was important to the book. Well, it is because basically she gets to the highest level of Mormonism. This thing you're told all your life, you're going to go have this incredible ceremony at the temple. It's going to like move mountains. And it's essentially a movie they made being like Mormonism is great. It's just like pictures of like waves and the earth turning and like, it's just like Scientology. You get to the highest level and it's like, you're going to read Ron Hubbard's gospel. And then it's just like gibberish. Yeah. That's wild. And it feels like she's like, oh, I can't believe after this. Yeah. Because as right. of this recording, there hasn't been anything substantial coming out about like the the way the church has responded to this book, other than I think being upset a little bit about it. Or Yeah. Also, the church is very, at least in my experience, very kind. Like Scientology is a bit vicious. Like Mormons, like kindness is a big part of the religion. Like converting people is a big part of the religion retaliation feels odd to me because also Mormons are always under jurisdiction because a lot of them are still practicing polygamy, which is illegal. So them going to legal measures like might blow back on them in a tough way. I don't know. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults how I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. 
But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, so she comes back from her mission and she meets Billy, the guy who becomes her husband. I don't like Billy. Now, I don't... I can't have any feelings on Billy because this marriage was told through a thousand iceberg metaphors, water sinking the ship. I mean, the amount of times the iceberg comes back, it's like eight. It's like eight. And the first one I liked, she was like, I sold him on this awesome, fun girl. And I was like, then you're going to find this iceberg of a intense, funny, dark woman. You're going to love it. And I was like, that's very funny. But then the iceberg is just like, I just, I don't even know what happened in this relationship. All I know is that like there was water drowning and like- Icebergs. And icebergs. The only thing that stuck out to me was the the way it ended with, um, with I, I think it was, was that Heather or Bill wanted to change the time of it? Of it was bit? basically Heather created this baptism party for her child in 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 the vein, literally copied Kyle Richards' white party <laughs> for her daughter. Which, by the way, if you're a Mormon watching Bravo, like you're already, we're already one foot right. out. And um, and and she recreates this white party for her daughter. And then Billy wants to change the time, and she says no. And then he moves out. Yeah, that was this. that cannot be how the marriage is. Like, I mean, they're married for ten years. Yeah, the, the, that was interesting to me. That that was the straw that broke the iceberg. It was just. The way that it ended, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that stuck out to me. So many icebergs. None of them are tied back to the movie Titanic, which she goes to see as a kid. Not as a kid, as on her mission, actually. Um, the other thing that sticks out at the marriage is that she finds out Billy is like from Utah Wealth. And it, it sounds like a multi-level marketing scheme, which again is like all over Utah, but it was a little unclear. And we've had a little glimpses of Billy on the show. So people who watch The Real House of Salt Lake City, he's appeared, I don't know if it was last season or the season before, but we've got little moments of him and he just doesn't seem, even before reading this book, I, I suppose that's why I was able to fill in some of those gaps because I've, I remember him on the show and not liking him. So I already came But wasn't into he it. kind of nothing? Like he doesn't really do anything. He was nothing, anything. but I felt like you could see under the surface of he seemed sketchy. I don't know what the right term, maybe, mm. I don't know if manipulative is the right term, but I just could read him. I felt like you could read yeah. him. And she, I I felt like I could see what their marriage was like. He's very quiet and mm-hmm. kind of not, d- didn't show much emotion or anything. And I, I felt like I could see through of what their relationship was like at home, where it was like, she just was, uh, adhering to what he said. And obviously she's a bigger personality. And so I think you either have to shrink yourself to be around someone like that or get out. You, I, I think that's really well said. And she does say, I eventually shrink myself enough to be a subservient woman. And even that bothered Billy. So I, I think that is what happened. There's just not a lot of details. And I do love that she says, you know, they basically get engaged after three months because they just want to have sex. Like yeah. they're both virgins, they're both Mormons. And they're like, let's do it. She's like, they get married and immediately are like, I don't think we actually like each other and are married for 10 more years. The other big thing in this is that she finds out that his family comes from money and then is like livid to be flying Southwest. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times Southwest comes, Southwest, it's like three times where she's like, it. 
Yeah, I was, I, I, she just like, ugh. And, and, but I think she wanted to fly what? Uh, private or first class? I think it was, I mean, at some point I just say fly any other airline. I hate Southwest. That's a tale for another time, but I, I was on board. That's with really funny. That. I, I gotta say I'm from the Southwest and like, so flights from LA to New Mexico on Southwest are the best. Oh my God. So I'm, the only thing I, I like know. about a Southwest flight is the cranberry apple juice. They have that's the, I think they're the only airline that carries that. And it's so good. That's really, but funny. otherwise I hate it. I think I have trouble with the, I get anxiety about boarding in those groups. Like I hate that. Oh, if right. Right. Just but see, that's that, the thing. You, do, you do have to pay the $20 for them, for them to just automatically log your number. Otherwise it is. Hell. You can also go up to the counter and say, I need a pre-board pass for a health issue or whatever, because they're not supposed to ask you what the health issue is, but if you have like severe anxiety or something like that, that you can get a pass. To I board have here. severe anxiety of not getting a seat on this plane since you have open seating. But can I yeah, please have the trick is though, if you get one of those pre-board things, you're not supposed to, you're not allowed to uh, sit in the exit row seat. So you wow. can't oh, get, Danny, you've got I this know, game down. I, I hate them so much, but I do know the trick is that you're allowed to get that pre-board pass, but if you do, then you're not able to get one of the exit row seats which have the more leg room. The more room. So it's a it's a devil's playground, a Southwest flight. I do not like it. If you're flying in the Southwest, I recommend it. If you're flying to the East Coast, don't take Southwest. This is where we go the, the other ways from each other because- <laughs> Very fair. I mean, listen, they did just botch every holiday flight uh, for millions of people. So I know. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of history. I've lost luggage with them and I know they've recently had so many issues, but I've always had the worst experiences with them. And I'm so I'm sorry. Okay, to I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to still be on this, but they you get two free checked bags. And when I was shooting my short films in Los Angeles, sorry, in New Mexico, and I was taking crews from Los Angeles, we packed all of our equipment for free because of Southwest. No, Chelsea, I'm sorry. Something to think no, about. No, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. All right. Okay. All right. I'm sure everyone's on your side with this. So you just said a good thing. Now let me say a bad thing. The flight attendants all think they're doing stand-up comedy, and I don't need to hear them singing. <laughs> Or doing bits, they're always getting on those microphones, and I don't know if they allow them to do that or tell them they're going to do that when they get hired. But sometimes you get on the flight, and I don't want to see a comedy show. This is another positive for me. Yes, show me the person who has to essentially serve the worst people in the sky, and let them let them pop off a joke or two. There really should be some sort of limited series or movie about uh, Southwest um, attendant who wants to be a comedian or singer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there should be um, last comic standing for <laughs> flight attendants where we go and find the one flight attendant who truly deserves a career on the mic and we give People it to them. competing for a, to be a Southwest <laughs> flight attendant. I love that idea, Chelsea. I love it. Okay, this is our business. Let's get Heather on the line. Okay, so I'm going to read this page that gives you a good idea of uh, her marriage, but also I want to get to the end part. She says, my marriage was failing. The warning signs were clear. Water was flooding the deck. But with one eye closed, I pretended not to notice when the drips became leaks and the leaks became floods. Uh, And then later she says, and so I pressed on. No matter how I felt inside, time was marching forward. The ground thaws, the rain falls, the grass grows, the seeds root, the flowers bloom, the children play. I said, are we Quoting rent? <laughs> I didn't even catch That's that. That's rent. You just said that. Yeah. It's like the ground grows. Delete. <laughs> I was like, the children play. I'm like, what's happening in this book? But she doesn't say it's You rent. know, in um, her defense, though, sometimes you don't even realize you're singing a song, right? Like you're, or that you get a line from a song. 
I mean, it's in italics, yeah, so I guess that, that was all she had to do. I'm not sure. And so, okay, so the marriage um, ends. She gets divorced. They are some really powerful pages. I do think that um, the thing about the guy, the husband, and probably why she excluded so much uh, dirt on him was because he's still got a relationship with the her daughters. The kids. So she probably yeah. wanted to be very careful about that. I get it, but it's also, he is painted fully negatively. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I do see that. I yeah, do so that. it's like, so give us all the dirt. If you're going to paint him negatively, like yes. give us all the dirt. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, like he's just a bunch of water breaking a boat to me yeah. in my head. Um, one of my favorite pages of the book, she says, basically the divorce is going on and and he took the boat out with friends and is like hanging out with single girls while she's like taking care of their kids and pretending they're still married. She says, everything is fine. There's nothing going on. He's just letting off steam. The lies, the lies, the lies. I made my husband disappear. And then a bunch of quotes. Heather, you're completely helpless. You know, Heather, you're what the French call les incompetents. Les incompetents. That's from Home Alone. Thank you. That's from Home what? Alone. You're what the French <laughs> call les incompetents. Remember, it's from um, the yes. first Home Alone. And also, wait, you're there right. was another line you just read. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but was the there was another um, line that was from Housewives. The lies, the lies, the lies. And she does a lot of Bravo quotes throughout because in the one of the early chapters, she says, it's all happening, which is a Bravo uh, Vanderpump Rules quote. And we know that she's watched Bravo for a long time. And I think she knew, rightfully so, that Bravo fans would at least have fun picking up those little things. Yeah, she did leave a lot of Easter eggs. Well, this next sentence is my favorite in the whole book. Quote, there are 15 bridesmaids in spaghetti straps and you're the only one who has to wear a bolero jacket. Oh, the bolero, the peplum. The, this was my life of like trying to hide <laughs> what I looked like. And reading that, I was like, this is why she's one of my favorite housewives. The one girl in a bolero jacket will always be my favorite. That would have been a great first line. I always think of the first lines of books because, you know, yes. I feel like that would have been such a great, I don't know what her first line was in this book, but yeah. what it, was? It wasn't as good. It was good, but it wasn't as good as that. Um, her prologue was, I was 30,000 feet above Death Valley contemplating my life. Okay. Um, Death Valley, know it very well. Um, and then her other first line was, nestled in a suburban Colorado cul-de-sac in an unassuming cottage rambler on quiet Ivy Way, I sat peering out my bedroom window. So they're essentially the same sentence. Yeah. It's like, she's in a plane peering down. And, and wait, real yes, quick, since so we're good. here, what's the last sentence before the acknowledgments? Yeah, let's see. Before the epilogue, um, would I risk my eternity, my church, my community, my family for a sizzle reel? Yes, a thousand times yes. I clapped my hands for joy and exclaimed, this is the desire of my heart, which is kind of a callback to Mormonism. And then the epilogue last sentence is, in the name of the Father, the Son, and Andy Cohen, amen. That's a good last line. Now that's, yeah, that's where I like it. Line. Yeah, yeah. For me, she starts coming alive in the book kind of after Billy's gone, which is also when I think she comes alive in her life. And she uh, basically starts her business because she has um, Spock eyebrows, which is where you have Botox and you just kind of look per perpetually shocked. And a woman comes up to her, she says, I'm a nurse at a better Botox clinic. Let the doctor fix this for you. Heather meets with the doctor. She's like, hey, I'm divorcing. Billy's not giving me Botox money. Can I get Botox for free if I run your Instagram and like get more business for you? Because this is like her skill set. Then she launches like a Botox influencer Utah event 
where we meet Meredith Marks and Lisa Barlow. And the event goes so well, the doctor's like, I think this should actually just be your business. Why don't you buy it from me? And Heather takes the business over from him. And I I mean, I love that we're meeting these people, but also can I just tell a tip that I've heard uh, about surgeries, Botox, all those kinds of facial work. So what I was told by a doctor friend is that every region, area, city has the way that they do these faces, right? So there are, for instance, on Miami Housewives, there's this guy who's known as the boob doctor. He's like this asshole on the show and married to Lisa Hochstein or or they're currently separating or divorced or whatever. But uh, so I've heard that. So everyone in the area ends up having similar boobs because he's the main one, but then also the other doctors are giving people the same boobs. So what I was told is that if you want to get work done, what you should do is go to a different city so that you're not looking like everyone else in your city because it becomes obvious. So you've got unique boobs. So, yeah, because it becomes obvious to people if like, oh, you have that that Miami boob job. It, you know, you're almost better just go get an LA boob job if you live in Miami because then it'll you won't look like a photocopy of of the region that you got this done in. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's like, it's such incredible advice for a certain sector of people. Like every housewife needs that advice, yes. but like for regular people, I'm like, what? And on housewives, <laughs> so every funny. housewife should be thinking of this too, because the housewives all tend to end up looking the same. It's like when they get their veneers, they all go to the same doctor. And I'm thinking you should be going to a different doctor. You might not get the same uh, cheap or the Groupon or whatever that the other housewives are getting from this one doctor, but at least you won't all look like you got the same chompers as each other or uh, same <laughs> they all get the same nose job. And so if you're going to be filmed around a group of women who have all gotten these same veneers, you should go get different veneers. Danny, this is the hot tips you're bringing, <laughs> you know, the voucher for Southwest, you know, going to different doctors. To I, I'm also going to, I mean, <laughs> That is absolutely amazing. I have to tell you, like from reading these books, I just, uh, I just really don't know if I could ever do it purely because like an entire book from Jennifer Gray about how a nose job slip up ruins her whole life. Um, And like the woman who wrote First Wives Club, which is one of my favorite movies in the whole world, woman who wrote the book of it. Oh, oh, I know we have that in common. You quoted it in your book. I remember being like, oh, I love you. Well, she was really self-conscious about like the weight under her chin line, well, she wanted like a sharp chin line and she got surgery because on all her book promo pictures, her headshots as an author, she'd always have her hands beneath her uh-huh. chin. And so she goes to get surgery and she dies. Uh-huh. And now we don't have the author in the world. So that's also, listen, yeah. maybe go to LA, maybe go to Miami. Chelsea, maybe you just- go, Maybe go in the room and tell yourself you love yourself as you are. I'm having uh, stomach surgery next week, not for- plastic surgery purposes, but you just scared me because I, um, <laughs> I don't like well, going, I don't, you, I'm scared to go under the knife. I know earlier I was just saying I need anesthesia for lip filler, but <laughs> I am, you well, just scared I, me because <laughs> I'm I have some stomach issues, so it's not plastic surgery, but. Well, let me make you unscared and say, I also got full anesthesia. I got a five inch scar on my stomach to remove a, like a, a ovarian dermoid tumor when I was 22 and I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I lived my well, best life. Look yeah. at me now. I had an appendectomy a few years, which is a few years ago, which is why I'm having to have the surgery um, because there were some complications from it, but nothing life-threatening. And so they, 
they're going in the same place as they did for the appendectomy. Yes. Yes. But, oh my gosh. What if we have for matching scars? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Photo shoot? Um, yes, let's do it. But I do want to just go back and say, I think when I'm old at some point, I probably would do the facelift. Like, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I oh, believe in that. <laughs> I support doing whatever you want. I'm just saying, and listen, maybe there'll become a day where you're like, Chelsea? And I'm like, no, I'm a new woman now. I changed my face. I'm just, I'm different. But, um, but I also, I also do want to leave the option on the table to not, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's all and okay. by the way, uh, we talked about the, this idea of like going to different doctors, but you have to go to good doctors. I think there's this whole industrial complex now. I think, I suppose it's more with like fillers and Botox, but uh, people doing these like Groupons or cheap, cheap versions of that. And I think no matter what you're doing, if you're getting something injected to your face, I think you need to go do your research and go to a good person, not just like the cheapest person. Listen, I love a discount on a deal on almost anything. Surgery, we don't, you don't want a discount on surgery. Again, from these memoirs, the amount of boob jobs on a discount whose lives are ruined. Jenny Jones, uh, Whitney Cummings, like it's just, it's not something you want to deal on. Okay, back into the book. So some of my favorite, favorite pages where I, there were, there was a moment where I was like, this is such good writing. She has made me rethink my own writing. I was like, I can't believe I'm feeling this from Heather Gay, but it's when she starts writing about the other housewives. Um, first off, there is a full love letter to Meredith. Did you see this coming? Like, I didn't know they were this close. No, but also I thought her and Jen were closer than we're learning now. Well, I'm sure a lot of that was stripped out given the allegations. But I- Not allegations, the full-on proven yeah, crimes. Yeah, I know, that's all troubling. On the reunion, though, even if for people who have watched The Real House of Salt Lake City, most recent reunion, it still seemed like her and Jen were very close. When I interviewed Heather, though, the thing that was most surprising to me about our chat was that she, for the first time, I at least that I've seen of her, was distancing herself from Jen, and she told me she, they just met right before filming. And I thought the- assumption was always that they knew, were really close beforehand. And so, yes, I think some of that is probably strategic of like, you finally need to separate yourself from her a little bit, but, uh, but I, and listen, I'm not one to like, I'm so all about female friendship when people are like, oh my gosh, they have to be romantic. There's no way women could be that close. I'm, I'm never on that team. I will say when it comes to Heather and Jen, that is that is one place where I'm like, there is just something so much deeper here. And that being said, the story she shared about Jen, I'll read some of it in the book. Um, did It was such a specific story. It made me realize why Heather probably fell in love with her so hard as a friend. So basically, Heather's coming out of her divorce. She needs a, a hookup. She spots a guy across the room. Jen is like, I'm on it. She's like, oh my God, what? Jen goes over and his. it turns out his name is 6'6". Six six. I think it's his nickname because he is 6'6". Six six. And um, they're leaving the club and and Heather's like, I want to go to a party with him. And, and Jen's like, no, you're not going to a party with him at four in the morning. Um, you're coming home. She says, absolutely not. Jen said, Heather, that was cute in the club, but you're going to die. We're going to cafeteria. Then we're going to go home. No one is going to Harlem. Also weird shade against Harlem, but let's set that aside for a second. Then, table that. She, yeah, table that. Not great. And then Jen, basically, she's like, no, I want to go fuck this guy. So Jen... Uh, she called over 6'6's brother in order to have a recommendation of character. She asked for their driver's licenses and took pictures front and back of each. She asked for a background check, which, as a felon on parole, 6'6 fortuitously had saved as a PDF on his phone. She asked the brother to drive his car around. She and Stu, Stu, Stu chains. 
took a picture of the license plate. They got both of their numbers. They shared locations. Okay, Heather, you can go, but call me on your phone and leave me on speaker for the entire night. I'll mind my business. I'll turn a deaf ear, but if I hear even one muffled scream or if you dare end the call, I will have NYPD up their fucking ass in 3.5. Oh, how the tables have turned. And I was like, <laughs> truly, I mean, uh, listen, fastidious. But- she and Stu, they've got their paperwork Chelsea, down. this was, I was most excited to talk to you about this whole moment in the book because I feel like it's not getting the attention it deserves because what Jen is in going away for, going to prison or wherever to, uh, is because of her data collection. And it's like, oh, there she is in her book collecting data on this man. And I know that wasn't the point. With but Stu. it's like so fucked up. Like that, she was literally doing that yes. in the book for Heather yes. on this date. And Heather looked at it as like a great friend and whatever. And I was like, no, that's fucked up. Like she's just always collecting data on people. Yeah, she's always collecting people's like, information to follow up on like, later. What? That is and wild. I think it just shows... That if if that's what Jen Shaw is doing with some woman she just became friends with, with her partner, of course she was doing that in a wider scale thing with these elderly people. And but it's like so crazy to me that she was just very clearly collecting data on this man. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> that is so funny. No one's talking and also, about it. I feel like crazy because I, I was know. reading it. I'm like, that's what she's in going away prison for. I keep saying away, like Aunt- Teresa. Judah yeah, she's used to going away to a nice farm. <laughs> yeah, no, but she's she's going yeah. to prison. Um, no, I also think I, the other thing I loved about that story is that like Heather's coming out of her divorce. She really wanted, she wants to be uh-huh. what the idea of Jen used to be. Powerful, in control, fucks who she wants, businesswoman, glamorous. Like you, and I think like Jen taking her under her wing, that again, they haven't known each other for a long time, which is also what I do think there is something a little sexual between them. That's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, interesting. Which was um, an allegation on the show as well that came out on. I know. And normally I'm like, absolutely not. But just like, even the way Heather reacted to them being like, remember when Jen was in the hot tub, like talking shit about you and here's all these text messages and Heather's like, I don't really care. It felt like what happens with someone who you like who, who you hook up with, oh, like, where it's like, if you're like hooking up with someone and you're breaking up and they're like, fuck that bitch. You're like, yeah, whatever. We're going to fuck again. Like, that's what it felt oh, like. To interesting. Me. I know. I'm not trying to be super juicy, but no. the other thing too, is that I, I mean, do you fully believe Jen punched her in the face? Cause I'm. Yeah. I kind of fall in the, in the, uh, I think that it happened accidentally, but that it was Jen, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, I, mean, I think here- it's so nuanced. Like, I don't think she just cold cocked her. I, but I think there was something happen. But let me pose you this. I mean, like from season one, Jen is like throwing hamburgers at the wall. She's punching the air. She's ripping off gyms. She's throwing flip-flops. Like there's no way it wasn't Jen. Like Jen punches everything. I don't really understand how we don't have at least audio of it because we have the video of the women like entering that room at night and supposedly it happened in like the bathroom of that room. But I still feel like there would have been audio from somewhere, right? Like, I don't know. Unless they like knew to turn it off. I don't know. It's I don't all know. sketchy well, though. The, the other revelations that I found interesting, you probably already knew this, but I did not know that Lisa Barlow was like, I have a reality show. Meredith and I are putting together and Lisa Barlow puts together her own sizzle reel. And is it's like business women in Utah. And then Bravo buys it and makes it real housewives. I did not know that like Lisa Barlow really is the puppet master that they that's why they all think she has all the yeah, power. Lisa Barlow actually appeared on, I think it was Shots of Sunset. She, so I, I think it was probably something that she'd been angling for for a while and trying to figure out the best way to get on Bravo 
because oftentimes they, it's not so easy to just pop up on a house or on a Bravo show. And so she just popped up on, at the very least, she was on Shots of Sunset on a phone call or something. But I also think maybe she was on something else or, or I know there were photos of her with Bethany Frankel at, at Sundance. And you know, I think Lisa Barlow was smart enough that she'd been angling for this for a while and just found the mm-hmm. way to get in. Way to do it. I mean, I was, I found it so fascinating. Also, so Heather basically writes a three page love letter to Meredith and says, we played our friendship down so that Lisa wouldn't get jealous. But now that that's over, me and Meredith can be friends again, which I thought was super interesting. Then she calls Lisa the, basically, vaguely, the emperor with new clothes being like, she's just a bunch of lies. She's just a constant mess of lies. And a lot of those lies comes true because that's how manifesting yeah. works. <laughs> I found that very funny. <laughs> She's secreted then, into existence. The only eye patch reference is when she's talking about Whitney Rose having such a tiny thong on when she meets her at this photo shoot that she's the photographer for. And she says she picks up the thong on the way out because you never know when an eye patch is going to come in handy. Oh my God. I didn't even I catch like, that. I wonder if that was added. Yeah. Wait, did you have the. Uh, yeah. I said, when the hell was this written? Did like, you have the ARC? Shouldn't we be depressed? Because I didn't have, I don't think that was in my, I, no. they sent me the early, um, cause I had interviewed her oh, and I don't oh, remember oh, oh. seeing yeah, that cause no. I remember going through, going back through it and trying to look for that. Maybe I just missed it since it was just one line, but I was like looking for eye patch reference because like I said earlier, it was alluded that there was going to be some information about the eye patch in the book. So yeah, I wonder if that was added late or I just missed it. No, I think it had to have been added yeah. later, even just timeline. Yeah. I'm like, you must have written the whole book and gone back. And that being said, it's it's written in so well because it's all about Whitney Rose, like being in a boudoir shoot and how she's just so comfortable with herself. And she's got these tiny little thongs. And then it's just this little callback line about it being an And wasn't patch. it revealed that Whitney um, was not a housewife at first? They like decided late. Yeah. yeah. So Heather is like, I think Whitney should be in it and tells the producers. Then Lisa Barlow's angry. She's like, Whitney's not, she's not what we want. She's a little TLC. She's a little VH1. Love the digs. Then they put Whitney in the sizzle reel anyway. She says, they have this dinner. They film it. Whitney does incredible. She has this line where she says, my name is Whitney fucking Rose. And Whitney is not cast to be a housewife at first. And they find out it's because she was edited out of the sizzle completely, which we know was a handiwork of Lisa Barlow. Yeah. Yeah. And then gets back. I mean, oftentimes with these castings, I think they are changing even up until the last minute. I had heard that Mary Cosby wasn't, does she talk about this in the book or am I just remembering this from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Like Mary wasn't supposed to be a housewife. And then they decided after the season had filmed that she was going to be a housewife and they had to do a lot of stuff from Mary's closet. So the first season of housewives. That makes sense. Cause she's always alone. She's always in the closet and supposedly she was, Around, she was like going to be in the show. She just wasn't a main cast member. And then producers decided after filming, let's make her a main cast member. And of course, then they have to show personal storylines or and they do these pickups, allegedly, of Mary Cosby in that closet. So the whole first season is a lot of footage of Mary Cosby in her closet. That nothing makes more sense than her being added after the fact. Cause I was like, why is she always alone and like holding up belts and hats that she yeah. owns? Yeah. And even those, a lot of those um, phone conversations I think were just done as pickups. So they, they didn't have much bearing on the season at all. Cause it had already wrapped, but then they had to kind of incorporate it in. That's incredible. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to read um, what she writes about Whitney Rose. This, this is what, this was the writing where I was like, damn, this is good writing. 
Is Whitney Rose someone you would want to watch on TV? This is a producer asking her this. Yes, Whitney Rose is Murica. She is true red, white, and blue, Brooks and Dunn fun. She is a contradiction from every country song lyric ever written. Whiskey and a teacup, business sense and big boobs, denim and diamonds, leather and lace. She is beautiful, but her looks aren't what she leads with. She's a tomboy in a tutu. I was like, what a great... Yeah. Can you just see that like in a screenplay? Like she's every contradiction in a, you know, in a country song. Yeah, I, totally. I loved it. Also, Whiskey in a Teacup gives me a little PTSD from Reese Witherspoon's book. Did you read that one? No. Oh God, Wait, is it like a real memoir? No, what is like, it? Uh, it's such a cash grab. There's whole chapters where it's like, here's a playlist and it's just songs listed. I mean, it's like crazy. I, I have to say, I, I reject this because she has ish a book club. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she has made women's books, her things. Like you can't put out your own book. Yeah. <laughs> and I love songs. her and that's why I bought the book, but it's, it's shockingly little there for someone who has is, a book club. Is it titled yeah. whiskey? Yeah. That's the name of the book. Yeah. Wait, yeah. are you serious? Yeah, it's, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. I'm almost <laughs> 99% positive. Okay. This is impressing me less in Heather's book. <laughs> yeah. No, it's called that. I, that's a saying, but um, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the name of her book. And there's like recipes in it, which I don't think of Reese as someone who has recipes. She's like, I think she's gunning for a lifestyle brand she, in the next chapter of her life, which is interesting because she's still a full movie well, star. Well, in this, so this was 2018 and we're getting off track, but it's called Whiskey in a Teacup, What Growing Up in the South Taught Me About Life, Love, and Baking Biscuits. So it's just a collection of like random stuff. Like I said, um, collection of biscuit recipes, song playlists and yeah, stuff. Like like a home goods show in yeah, a book. It's just sort of misguided. And I again love her, but it's misguided. I gotta tell you, Danny. Do you not like her? I'm putting it in my I'm putting it in my cart right now. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah. purchasing it you I think you'll like it from that aspect of just like how did this get made or, or in the looking behind the scenes of it all. Like why, why what was this for? And yeah. how did this happen? And and yeah, I think it fell in that vein of wanting to be like a, a goop or a I think maybe they were thinking of pivoting her in that way. And didn't she also have like a Nashville store or does she have a Nashville yes, like clothing yes. store or something? Uh-huh. And now I feel like she's left that stuff. See, I think she's done with that side of things and she's realized, no, I should just be like a super producer, which I think fits better. That, that's what makes the most sense yeah. for her and her personality. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I will be doing a deep dive after this. <laughs> if you need, if you <laughs> need to need, do another episode, I'll come back and talk whiskey in a teacup. Okay. okay. Honestly, I might be calling you. Get yeah, ready. It's an easy read. Okay. So I did really, really love some of this writing. For On page 256, she says, I was being cast in a role I'd been waiting for permission to fulfill my entire life. I could be myself unequivocally without obligation to represent the church, my family, or my dwindling faith. She basically says, I have been raised to be a, a lowercase h housewife all my life. And now I finally get to be just fully me and that's wanted. And she writes, when producers asked me my level of happiness on a scale from one to 10, I answered zero without hesitation. I no longer felt obligated to be a part of the church or its trademark cult of happiness. I love that. I love the, the um, representation of freedom from the church is now being on The Real Housewives. It's like, that's the culmination. I did, I did too. Yeah. And I was like, I love this. Cause it's like, she was going like housewife in Mormon religion is being subservient. And now housewife on TV is like something very powerful. It honestly was like all the reasons why we love the housewives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like these complicated wild women. She And then she writes this. She says, 
Housewives are survivors. Sure, we are a little flawed, a little damaged, dented, and burnt, but we are still our own champions. We get out there every day and are unapologetically ourselves. This community of strong, resilient women fortified me, buoyed me, and allowed me to see myself objectively. Would I risk my eternity, my church, my community, my family for a sister real? Yes, a thousand times yes. And then later she talks about... Um, she said, during the reunion episode immediately after season one aired, Andy Cohen asked me if I was surprised at being declared a fan favorite. Surprise didn't begin to cover it. I replied, I just didn't think there was an audience for the mess that I yeah. am. There's this great clip of uh, her at BravoCon where the audience is cheering most for her. And this was right before the most yeah. recent season aired. And so she gets the biggest applause and uh, she starts crying. She's welling up and she's saying, thank you. Like, th this is crazy to me that I can't believe it. And then what's so interesting about the Housewives fan base is now they've completely turned on her. <laughs> so this was a, a tough season for her. I it's hope a she, I really hope she comes back next well, season. Well, every though. single, what I try to always remind people is that the Bravo edits and wants these shows to take you on a roller coaster ride. So they want you to love someone one minute and then the next season they want you to question that love because it makes you tuning in and it makes you engaged in the show in front of you so that you're saying, wait, I loved this person. Maybe I don't love them anymore. And then they want to go the opposite way. And so you love them again and it's like, wait, I thought I just hated them. And that's what keeps you engaged and so uh, active in the watching of these shows, at least for like the serious fan base. And so it's literally designed to be that way. And so yes, there's people have these bad seasons and then they will have a good season and then everyone gets a villain time or two. Uh, but that's what keeps these shows fun. And so, yeah, I think Heather ha was the essentially the villain-ish sort of this past season. Yeah, and I mean, the black eye ruined her. She She's clearly covering something up and the way she handled it like was so terrible. Right. But I will also say in the reunion, when they have all the husbands come out, Every woman is seated next to a husband, except for Heather Gay, who just has to sit there quietly by herself as they have husband time. That's a woman who's going to come back next season and be your favorite because having to endure that, it, I, I just, I don't know. It, it, it's the same thing. It's, it's a bolero. It's a bolero on a bridesmaid's dress. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, you're not fitting into this, the, the norm core requirements. And not for nothing, but I think, uh, you could see that Andy really likes her, which is a big telltale sign of like how someone might be off screen. Not to say that Heather is a perfect human being or anything like that, but oh, oh, the other thing I was going to say was that I think yeah. there are other things behind the scenes that she's probably really pissed about too, because the black eye situation from a production level, I don't know that that was handled great because if you don't have any information or answers, I don't think that it should be been presented as such a huge storyline. It ends up just making her look really bad. And, and also I think sometimes illegal things happen on these shows that they can't talk about or can't really get in the weeds about. When she was on my show, she sort of alluded to something being an, inve an investigation. I think she mentioned that at the reunion, like there was an investigation open. But I think it's because it they did have to look into production and be like, where were all the producers? Like if there's no footage, if there's, like it does start an investigation with real consequences. But she played it poorly. She did play the whole thing wrong. Played it awful, awful. Yeah, she's funny. There's not a lot of truly funny housewives, so I'll I'll always be, you know, like she's coming up with those lines on her own. I did um, start to turn on her at the end of the season, which I wasn't expecting because yeah. she was one of my favorites as well. I never thought I'd I'd turn on her, but we'll I'm sure she'll come back from it next season. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. And listen, we talked about her taking the title Bad Mormon from a parody song. What if I take a title from Heather Gay and I call my book a bolero on a bridesmaid's dress? Love it. Please do it. Love it. <laughs> um, okay. We end every podcast with the book deal test. Three questions. First question, was the author vulnerable? Did they share their truth? Yes. 
I think so. I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her half. Yes. I think she could have said so yeah. much more, but I get yeah. it. Question two, was it entertaining to read? Um, I go with the half. Yes. For that. Yeah. I'm going to go the back third. Yes. The first two thirds. No. And last question, did reading this book elevate your life in some way? No, but I, I, I really did enjoy learning more about the Mormon community than I knew. Like, I felt like I learned yeah. something which never happens in a housewife book. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what? I shockingly, I'm going to say yes, because I think fully understanding um, how funny women cannot exist in religion really is something I've been thinking about for a long time because I was raised in religion too. You know, it's like, oh, how I've thought about it a lot. It's like, how did I not get baptized Mormon? Like, I, I loved hanging out with my Mormon friends. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, right. You just... Yeah. Anyways, so that elevated my life, and I really, I really had a joyful feeling when I ended yeah. the book. I was like, I, I wish you would have had more housewives gossip and juice in there. Like, Me I would too. have liked a much larger section. I would have probably flipped. So, I, I think maybe like the last fourth of the book was, had the housewife stuff in it. I would have done like three fourths of the book housewife stuff, and one fourth Mormonism. Like, that's the kind of balance I think would have been yes. better for the yes. Bravo audience. Uh, but with the, uh, the Bravo books, you have to grade them on a different scale than you would another book. It's kind of, I, I think of like- We're, yeah, on, a we're on a curve. I think of like made for TV Christmas movies, which I love, uh, but you grade them on a curve. So that Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie, for instance, from last holiday season, people were like, oh, this is so bad. But if you go into it knowing that these are bad, they're meant to be kind of visual Xanax, I give it a five star. So my rating is always like, it's five star, but it's also just one star. Like that's the kind of mm -hmm, rating mm -hmm. I like to give movies like that or a housewife book. I, I think that is so well said, especially about holiday movies. And listen, I watched that Lindsay Lohan one and I was like, yeah, good holiday movie. Yeah, you know, it's a, not what we're expecting from her, but good holiday movie. You have to go into those. I get so mad when people are like, that is the worst movie ever. It's like, yeah, that's how, but these are like, yeah, that's what they are. <laughs> like, you have to know that going in. Don't watch it if you're not interested in that. And with the books, too, by the way, these housewife books, they're they're written differently. You know, obviously, like a non-celebrity book, you could take your time and you have freedom and an editor who's working with you. But the housewife books, they have to come out quickly. One of the things that I've noticed with housewife books that I just want to say before we go is that uh, they get these book deals when they're at the sort of high point of audience reception. So like Heather got the book deal, let's say when she was at the height and everyone favorite housewife. And then because of the roller coaster that Bravo takes us on, they end up coming out when everyone hates them. So it Ugh, happens, it yes. happened with Dorinda Medley's book. I think in some way it happened with Dr. Wendy's book. She ended up having a good season after the book came out, but I think maybe she didn't have one uh, prior to that. And so it always happens that way though. And so these publishers and stuff, it's like they give these big book deals to these houses. And I just think sometimes like you're making a mistake because yes, they're on the top of the world right now, but by the time this is released, they could be totally hated. You're taking a gamble. That's such a good point. And also you never know if producers are like, well, their book's coming out. Yeah. Time to give them a different edit. I was shocked that Heather got so much placement of the book on the show because she did a whole book release party. And some producers I think would say, we're not doing a book unveiling party because there was no book. The finale party was for Heather's book and they showed a big cutout sign of her book cover, but there were no books that hadn't been released that was filmed months before it would be released. But I also think like this book has something very special to it. It's dismantling a religion. Yeah, like yeah. it's coming after a religion that is sometimes considered a cult. Their whole set for the reunion was a dilapidated LDS church. That was like wild, that's, you know, if if this religion means something to you, this is one of the wildest things to ever yeah, happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and a housewife is it's like 
it's like Leah Remini's book going after Scientology. It's like someone's blowing the whistle. So I do see how it got. Well, and big. I hope that whoever is the gallery, I think is the publisher who does a lot of these housewives books. They have to have a larger story like this. It just, they can't be doing these housewife books that don't have a larger narrative. Like this was a smart book for them to do, I think, because it, it did have a bigger purpose. It wasn't just like, Oh, I was a, a, a server at this restaurant when I was 14 and then whatever. There's too many of that, those things. And so this had a larger narrative of something that they wanted to say. And I, we, the audience isn't interested in more. And that's why the sales, if you look at the sales for Housewives books, they go down. Then, you know, 10 years ago, they were selling yeah. a lot more copies, but the audience is too savvy for that now. And so it has to say something. I, I, that's so well said. Um, Danny, you're such an incredible guest. Tell people where they can find you, follow you, support you. I'm sure they already do, but, but yeah, anyway. uh, my podcast is called everything iconic and I interviewed a lot of housewives. I also recap the shows. Uh, and then I have a book that came out last year called how do I unremember this? It'll be out in paperback at the end of May. Uh, and then hopefully I'll have a new book at the end of the year that I will be able to share more about soon. I'm so excited. And, um, we can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Chelsea. So much fun. That's all for this week's episode. You know I'm going to be posting stuff on my Instagram, so come to at Chelsea Devantes. You can also start a conversation about your thoughts about the episode and the book itself on my Instagram. I make a post about every episode. We also have a Facebook group for larger discussions. A Celebrity Book Club podcast is what it's called. And also on Patreon, there's a whole comment section every time we do an episode. Become a member of our Patreon. You will get a bonus episode every single month for just $5 a month. And you're just supporting the podcast, which we, which we need and we love and we like. A huge shout out to Kate Downey, our podcast producer, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. We will see you soon for another good ass book. Bye.